Good morning. My name is Steve Blummer. I am the pastor of Family Adults here at Hope Chapel. And it is a joy to be able to speak with you live this Sunday. <laughs> Last Sunday we canceled church because of the snow, but I was able to record and upload the message to our website at hopechapelsterling.org. And that's part one of a two-part series, so I hope you had a chance to go and listen to that. We were looking at Philippians chapter 4. And last week we looked at about finding joy in Christ. Paul says that Christ must be the center of our attention, the center of our motivation, our goal in life. We can't try to find satisfaction in anything in this world or anyone in this world because eventually everything and everyone will let you down. We are to be happy. We're to rejoice always in the Lord in every situation and circumstance. And we know how hard that really is to put into practice. This level of spiritual maturity to have a life of complete contentment is not something that happens automatically. It happens when we captivate every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Let me just consider that task. To captivate every thought that you have every day and making sure that it's obedient to Christ. Making sure that's the thought that God wants you to be thinking about. That is not an easy task. We're not supposed to dwell on things that cause us worry and, and cause us anxiety. We're supposed to think of those things that are pure and lovely and true. Paul tells this young pastor, Timothy, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, the ability to overcome. He's given us the spirit of love, the assurance that we're in good hands. And he's given us the spirit of sound judgment. It's the confidence to know that the decision you have to make, whether to have church or not, will be a good decision. God helps us to put it all together and help us to think straight. I think that's some pretty good news. So last week, as we looked through Philippians chapter 4, we looked at about half of the verses that talked about finding joy in Christ. This week, we'll look at the other verses, and they're going to focus and help us think about finding joy in the church. Yeah, right. Here we go, right? You've got a few things to say, perhaps. I want us to walk away from this message knowing that it's going to be just as hard to find joy in the church as it is to find joy in Christ, to rejoice always. It's going to take work on your end as well as my end if we're going to be able to find joy in the church. And this may not be the message that you hope to be as some kind of affirmation that you don't need the church, that it's not necessary, or somehow the church owes or owed you something. Sometimes we need to change from a mentality that the church is all about them and they to a you and we mindset. If you've been a Christian for some time, perhaps this is not your first church. And if this isn't your first church, it's because the other church had some issues. I kind of think sometimes that it's like Jesus who was talking to the woman at the well at Samaria. And he says, go get your husband and come back. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the guy that you're with isn't even your husband now. Christians, we loved a church shop. We hop around from church to church. We've never gotten married into one, so to speak. We never fully connected and committed ourselves. And I know there's some people that says, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. And we somehow think Jesus is nodding in agreement and saying, yeah, that's okay. I find that very hard to say to the face of Jesus. I mean, 
Jesus considers the church his bride. He gave himself up for the church. He didn't bail on the church. He didn't run away from the church. In fact, Jesus was the one that started the church. He told Peter, I'm going to start my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Jesus believes in the success of his church. Paul says in Ephesians that Jesus is the head of the church. We are his body and in us his fullness dwells. That means that you and I are to display Jesus to the world. Jesus does things in the world. He does them through the church. People know about Jesus because they know about the church. Unfortunately, they know the wrong thing about the church. And Jesus says that if the world is going to know that you are my disciples, if the world's going to know that you have accepted me as your Lord and Savior, they'll see that by you reading your Bible or praying every day. No. Jesus says the world will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. You work with one another. You serve one another. You teach one another. You encourage one another. You pray with one another. You have fellowship with one another. I don't think it's possible to say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. No doubt the church has a bad image for a lot of differing reasons. Some of those reasons, they require more than apology, more than I'm sorry. I get that. For those of us who walk away from the church because of those things, I believe that you miss out on some pretty amazing things. And when you miss out on some pretty amazing things, those of us who are still here at church, we miss out on some pretty amazing things because we have a lot of missing pieces. How in the world do we find joy in the church? Let's dive into the text of Philippians chapter 4, if you would. If you have one of the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, you'll find this on page 1,000. Philippians chapter 4. For the sake of time this morning, we're not going to read through the entire chapter. We're just kind of going to go to those verses that talk about finding joy in the church. And you can listen to last week's message about finding joy in Christ and those are the other verses. So let's just jump in right to verse 1. So then, in this way, my dearly loved brothers, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Do you notice the names that Paul calls these people. He calls them dearly loved brothers. My joy and crown, dear friends. Some of you may have used other names other than these of church people before. But here Paul calls them brothers and sisters. You're like siblings, your family, your dear friends. They were deeply loved and longed to be with. Paul says, I want to get out of here. I get out of prison. I want to go see you. I want to be with you. Is that our mentality when it comes to church? Are we saying, oh boy, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to get to life group so I can be with my friends and just share life with one another. Or, or more times than not, our friends are those that are up in the mountains skiing or they're hanging out for drinks. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have those unbelieving friends in our life. I think we, they ought to be in our lives so that we can invest with them and begin to share the gospel with them. But I'm just simply asking, do we consider the church a place where we can go and can be relied on and we can find people to rely on so that we can stand firm together in the Lord? My assumption is that those unbelieving friends aren't going to be the ones telling you to remain strong in the Lord and to serve Him passionately. They probably don't even know why you do what you do with church and Christianity already. For Paul, they became another source of joy besides Christ. He calls them my joy and crown. The term for crown was a wreath. 
accepted by an athlete who won a contest or given by their peers at a banquet for something they did that was very successful. The Philippian believers were proof of Paul's hard work and dedication. They showed that his efforts were successful. It's kind of like a parent who labors to teach their kids some godly characteristics or life skills, hoping that one day when they go out in public or they go away from the parent's watchful eye, they'll do those things. And when they do, it brings joy to the parent. For the church there, it brings joy to Paul because he saw that they actually listened to him. And they actually listened to the Holy Spirit. Paul helped them to come to know Jesus and to help them to learn how, uh, the better understanding of God. They brought joy to Paul because he remembers what they were like when he first met them and how he, he labored and sacrificed time and energy to meet with them and to talk about spiritual things. It brought joy to Paul because he remembers the time where something clicked within them and they began to live differently for God. How many of you here today can think of someone that's been there for you like that and you've been there for them? Or you remember a time when perhaps they were new to this whole Christianity thing, when things didn't really make sense. For most of us, I think we need to be more involved in teaching others perhaps in Kids Connect or in our student ministries, those places are full of opportunities to simply connect with a kid or a teenager and to begin to pour out your life, to be another person or perhaps the only person who is speaking truth and love to them. Most of us in America, we have plenty of Bible knowledge. We have more Bible knowledge than a lot of Christians and pastors around the world. You're ready to go out and teach somebody else. Sometimes we think that church is all about entertaining us. We say, entertain us with your worship. Entertain us with your well-crafted messages. Entertain us with some Christian activities. And I've seen too many Christians kind of stay in that mentality for too long, and they end up walking away because it just was surface deep. And I've seen other Christians say, no, I want something deeper. But for them, that just means give me more worship. Give me more Bible messages that go deeper into the scriptures. Give me more Christian activities. But I believe that if you want to have joy in the church, if you want to go deeper, then that involves you being involved and being on the move with God, connecting with someone, helping each other understand what it means how to live this Christian life wholeheartedly. Look down to verse 9 or verse 2. Getting ahead of myself already. Verse 2, I urge Uadiah and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. We're going to lump verse 5 with this section. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. All right, so it didn't take us very long. We're down to some church conflict, right? Church conflict. Now, it doesn't tell us why these two women were arguing. Perhaps they were arguing because of the color of the carpet, or maybe their ministry wasn't getting announced from the pulpit. It could have been something serious, like a theological issue, or maybe a ministry vision, because some people believe these women were prominent leaders within the church. Whether they were leaders or members, it doesn't matter. Paul is saying someone needs to step up and help these women solve these problems. The gospel is on the line. These women, along with Clement and others, 
were working hard in the church for the sake of the gospel. And whatever this issue was, it had now distracted them from that purpose and mission. And if they were leaders and they were having issues, you know that it affected the congregation. Someone needed to do something about it. Now, when it comes to church conflict, this is when most of us bolt and we hit the door, we're running. We don't want to deal with ruffled feathers. We don't want to get caught in some kind of drama. And really, I can't blame you because that stuff can be exhausting to deal with. But if we would first go back to verse 1 and we see each other as brothers and sisters and dear friends, then I think we would take the long and bumpy road towards reconciliation when we view one another in that light. The truth is that wherever there is people, there's bound to be disagreements. It's in every family. I know. I see your family, and I have one too. They're all full of issues, right? And that's what makes it hurt the most because we want church to to feel like family. And so when people disappoint us or they discourage us or they say hurtful things, it hurts deeply. So for many of us, we just don't want to deal with more family issues. We want to be able to love Jesus and stay away from church. The truth is that no church is perfect. We all have our problems. But we need to be willing to embrace one another for the sake of the gospel, to not stop being co-workers, but also not to allow problems to go on, to stop them. The whole reason is because we know that the Lord is returning very soon. When we understand that the Lord is returning soon, we don't waste our time on the things that don't matter. What we need to do is we approach one another with grace and gentleness and willingness to kind of put up with one another. In verse 5, the word that means let your graciousness be known is also translated as forbearance. It's a patience of self-control that you're willing to deal with those who can be a bear from time to time. Paul says to Titus to stop arguing with one another, to avoid speaking evil about somebody, but to show humility and politeness towards one another. I mean, that's the kind of church that we want to belong to, where people just get along. They're not arguing and talking behind your back. And that may take your willingness to stick in it rather than running from it, the first sign of an issue. All right, now jump down to verse 9, 9 and 10. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that at Once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. This is right following where Paul tells them not to be worried or filled with anxiety over their issues. And Paul's saying, look at my life. I'm not talking about these things in a heavenly bubble. My life has been through a lot of stuff. I've I've seen it all. I've been knocked around. But yet I trusted and I rejoiced in the Lord. I believe that when you're away from the church, you miss out on hearing of the testimony. You miss out on hearing someone else's story of their faith and suffering journey. You miss out on hearing the testimony like Bobby Summers this morning when you're not around. And that kind of feeds into the concept that maybe no one else is like you. No one else understands you. No one else can help you. We somehow think that everybody has a spouse that loves them all the time, never argues, We somehow think that everybody has kids who sit at the dinner table and say how awesome dinner is. We somehow think that nobody else has financial issues. We forget to see how other people are dealing with 
financial difficulties or divorce or job loss or addictions or blended families. That's why we want to be, try to be honest as possible and authentic here at Hope Chapel. That's why we have celebrate recovery groups and teach grief courses and have accountability groups and mentoring groups and life groups where our motto is that we want to live out faith in circles, not just rows. Sunday mornings are great. We get to learn a lot. But there's times where you need to sit around a circle or sit across from somebody and just share your life with one another. Paul says that's when the peace of God will be with you. There's something about confessing your sins to one another or just pouring out your lives with one another and having them pray for you and give you a word of encouragement. And you don't get that kind of model when you're not connected to a group of believers, when you only go to church from time to time. We don't need to neglect the opportunity just to simply come and connect and begin to build a relationship with one another. We never know one day that could be a very great friend. That's what Paul acknowledges about the people of this church. They were great friends. They had reached out to him, and they showed care and concern for them. They really just only lacked the opportunity to show it. Every time that Paul came into their mind, they thought about him. How many times has someone popped into our mind, and we have kind of let it go? Sometimes we feel like we should have said something, or now that we remember it, it's been kind of weeks or months later, and we kind of feel awkward. We said, oh, if I bring it up now, it's going to be kind of weird. So we just kind of let it go. But I think the Holy Spirit, when he puts someone in our mind, he wants us to reach out. He wants us to email them, text them, call them, send a card in the mail. All those things, they go a very, very long way. And sarcastically, you could probably say, yeah, pastor, those things do go a long way because your story says that that never happened. That never happened for you. No one seemed to be reaching out. And sometimes we forget that other people have their long list of issues, and I'm not trying to excuse them or give them an excuse on a way out. But I know just from this text that it's encouraging all of us to create this deeper desire to think about others, to reach out and to show care and concern for one another. That's the kind of church that we want to be a part of. And so maybe it takes us doing to others what we would have them to do to us. Kind of a side note just for a minute. Sometimes we do have people that reach out to us. But what we want is we wanted the pastor to notice. And as a pastor, I know that I fail many times. There's times where I could have called more, I could have visited more. But have you ever thought about the care and concern as your pastor in the same way? And I think Hope Chapel really does get that. So I'm not trying to bust on Hope Chapel at all. In the church at Philippi, they recognized that even though Paul was this great leader, this great apostle, that he was not immune to heartaches and headaches. He wasn't immune to disappointments and discouragements. Paul was very honest with the church. He wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves. You know, just because we're pastors doesn't mean that we don't get overwhelmed with the pressures of life. Some research suggests 60 to 80% of those in ministry will stop being in ministry in 10 years. 70% of pastors admit that they don't have anybody in their life that they would consider a close friend. 75% of pastors deal with severe stress that causes anguish and even depression. 
I'm not trying to paint a bad picture of what it means to be a pastor because many pastors, they love what they do. They love their work. They love people. But I'm just simply saying they're not immune to what you can go through as well. And sometimes pastors can bring, them on, bring that on themselves just like you can bring that on yourself. Sometimes we try to meet unsaid expectations. Sometimes we push people away. Sometimes we're not spending personal time in God's Word outside of just trying to prepare for the next message or the next Bible reading. It just feels good, like it would feel good for you, for someone to take care and concern and notice. So I'm just encouraging us to, to go a two-way street here. Jump down to verse 14, if you would with me. Verse 14. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. Paul's referring to his talk about being content, whether he had a lot or whether he had a little. He was completely content in life. He wasn't even expecting or desiring this gift from them. But since they sent the gift, it meant a lot to him that they were thinking and reaching out to him. He said, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but to seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now when the church began, there were some people who, didn't, who believed that pastors and missionaries, they shouldn't get any support financially for their work in the ministry. But the Philippians were apparently the only church within the region that was supporting Paul. It wasn't enough to completely support him because we know Paul was also a tent maker. He was this bivocational pastor and missionary. And he does lay out in several places why he believes that missionaries and ministers and pastors need to be supported financially. But Paul personally chose to be a tent maker because he didn't want anybody to accuse him of preaching for money, as, a, as apparently was the case with the church at Thessalonica. He writes to them about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and he kind of throws them under the bus here saying, when I was in Thessalonica, you were the only ones that supported me there. And for Paul, he could have been quite upset. He had done so much for the church, so much for the churches in the entire region. And what did he get in return? From a human standpoint, it didn't seem like a whole lot. But remember, for Paul, he didn't care about that stuff because his joy was in Christ. And as as I said last week, if you can't first find your joy in Christ, you're probably not going to find joy in the church. The truth is that when you're in troubling and trying times, there's only probably going to be a few that are going to be there for you in the long haul. That's just going to be kind of the reality. And yeah, that hurts. That's why it's encouraging for us to first get our joy in Christ because we're going to get let down. We're going to be disappointed. Sometimes as a church, we don't get it always right. But I believe this text shows us that it's the people of God that blesses people. It's through the church that God provides for one another. That's what it's nice about being a part of Hope Chapel who supports missionaries and church plants and organizations like First Concern and Clinton, who helps uh, mothers who are faced with a decision to abort their unplanned pregnancy. We support groups like Young Life or Reaching Young People simply because they just don't connect into a church building. We support ministries and church ministries around the world. We support Rwandan pastors just to get a high school education. And I can't imagine what those people would come when they come to America and they see what kind of building we worship in. 
We support um, causes like supporting 3,400 pairs of underwear and socks to Sierra Leone. You guys all did all that. We, through our benevolence deacon ministry, we help people pay for their rent or fix their heat or give them gas cards, so many things. And most of those I have no idea about, and I'm okay with that. And there's a lot of things that happen outside of this organized structure of giving and receiving because you guys just go and do stuff. You don't tell people about it. You just hear a need and you do it. And God is pleased with those things because you are the church. He's very pleased when we just go out and we do whatever it takes. And sometimes we could feel like we're the only person giving of our time, energy, and effort. And Paul's saying, don't stop doing that. Don't stop being perhaps the only one doing those things. So now we're kind of at the end of this chapter in verse 21 through 23. It says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Those brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those from Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul ends the letter with what some people consider the most important evaluation of a good church, the ability to be friendly. Some people check out church, and they make a decision, opinion, within a matter of minutes. They may return if they like the message or the worship or their kids had a great time, but eventually they keep returning or they turn right around if they don't feel welcomed. When my wife and I were looking for a new church home a few years ago, we, we checked out several churches, and being greeted really was very influential. We'd be greeted by the greeters or by the pastors, those with name tags. But if they didn't have a name tag, sometimes we didn't really get much of anything. And even here at Hope Chapel, it was about the third week before someone outside of those that we expected to say hello came up and said, hey, who are you? And so we thought, well, we really like this church, but if it's not going to be friendly, maybe this isn't the place for us. If you want to make a big difference in the church, if you don't want to get into a teaching rotation or schedule, just simply say hello to everyone you meet. That's it. That's really a job description for all believers. We're supposed to greet everyone. I mean, can you imagine what a church looks like when everyone's so eager to go around and say hi to everybody? I mean, the church at Philippi must have felt extremely important when Paul says, the other Christian believers with me in jail, they want to say hello. In fact, when I said I was writing you a letter, everybody wanted to say hi. That's how meaningful you are to everyone here. So I challenge you to go ahead and try that today. Just greet everyone. Say, hi. And I know some of you are going, I don't want anybody to talk to me, and I don't want to talk to anybody. But this is just a, simply, a simple hello. It's not a deep conversation. And I know some of you are extroverts, and you're getting real excited for the message to get over so you can get outside, and, and you're going to have to put a, actually going to put a quota to uh, limit you. But this is just a simple, just, just say hi, and then if you feel like you got the green light to go ahead, then you can carry the conversation further, all right? I think that's kind of a, a plan that we all can be comfortable with. The point is that finding joy in the church, it's not easy. Just like finding joy in Christ is not going to be easy. And you and I need to be willing to stay with this large group of hypocrites. That's what we're called, right? Hypocrites. You and I are the church, and we need each other for encouragement and support. We need each other to learn and to grow spiritually mature. We need each other to be able to serve the world and carry the gospel 
The church is you. So don't be a church hater. The church is also the bride of Christ. So let's do Jesus a favor. Let's display Jesus to the world better by learning how to find joy in each other. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are so good and that you put up with us. No doubt we mess up, we grumble, we complain, we murmur, and you put up with us. Help us to find joy in you, to always rejoice, and at the same time, to be willing to find joy in the church, to be willing to stick through it, even when some church conflict may arise, or just the simpleness of just getting to church rather than doing it so infrequently. That we can just be encouraged by your word, be encouraged by someone else's testimony, and help us to uh, get more involved, more involved in helping someone else to grow in their spiritual walk and allow them to help us to grow in our walk. We ask for your help in these endeavors in Jesus' name.